Oh, you're good. I was getting ready to holler at you. Right, go ahead. Amen. It does. <laughs> okay. No, I ain't talking about the heat. I'm talking about the loudness. I feel like I'm. No. <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, good morning. Uh, how is everybody this morning? Good. Good. I'm glad. Uh, I just want to talk a little bit about spiritual warfare, if I can talk. Uh, and it's funny, what Martin said kind of goes right along with it all. If God be for us, then who can be against us? Exactly, it works both ways, don't it? It absolutely does. Um, <coughs> excuse me. What I really want to talk about uh, in the spiritual warfare, especially, is witchcraft. It is more and more, getting more and more open every day and it's one of the things that Satan uses against God's people and Hollywood has kind of played it off to where a lot of people just kind of dismisses it as fictional but it's very real and very powerful uh, And people use it. Satan's given the power and the people out here has accepted it and use it against God's people all the time. Uh, witchcraft is... They use it to inflict harm or misfortune on people. They use it to try to change events, uh, to see the, the future, to talk to the dead, and even summon evil spirits and demons to try to rage war against God's people. Uh, I'm going to start off in Exodus uh, chapter 7. This is when Moses and Aaron went against Pharaoh to convince, try to convince them, him, to let God's people go. Uh, chapter 7, we start in verse 10. And Moses and Aaron went in unto Pharaoh, and they did so as the Lord had commanded. 
And Aaron cast down his rod before Pharaoh and before his servants, and it became a serpent. Then Pharaoh also called the wise men and the sorcerers. Now the magicians of Egypt, they also did in like manner with their enchantments. For they cast down every man his rod, and they became serpents. But Aaron's rod swallowed up their rods, and Pharaoh's, and he hardened Pharaoh's heart, that he hearkened not unto them, as the Lord had said. So God here, God told Moses and Aaron to go into Pharaoh and to show them this sign, that they could cast down their, their rod, and it become a snake, a serpent. And it says, through their enchantments, Pharaoh's sorcerers could mimic the power of God. Through the witchcraft of these people, they was able to let down, to cast down or set down their staffs and they became snakes also. But Aaron's rod swallowed up their rods. That is proof right there that God's power, no matter how Satan or these sorcerers or witches or whoever, make it only mimic God's power, God's power will reign supreme. But just think, though, how Moses and Aaron must have felt at that particular moment when it first happened. You know, God said, God told us to come before Pharaoh and to cast down our rod and it become a snake as a sign to Pharaoh to let my people go, to let God's people go. And when they could do the exact same thing, I'm sure it Moses and Aaron was like, well, uh, are we doing the right thing here? Because they can do this too. Uh, what, what's going on? I bet their faith dwindled just a little until Aaron's rod ate the others as a sign, as proof to them and to us that God's power is greater. And we flip on to verse 22. So this is the plague of the blood and the water, how Moses and Aaron was commanded of God and how they turned the water into blood. And in 22, it said, And the magicians of Egypt, did so with their enchantments and Pharaoh's heart was hardened neither did he hearken unto them as the Lord had said so once again through their powers that Satan had given them they was able to mimic God's power and also with the plagues of the frogs in 
yeah, 8 and 7. Uh, Moses and Aaron had, God told them to command the frogs to come up. And the frogs just come up from everywhere. And then 7 said the magicians did so with their enchantments and brought forth frogs unto the land of Egypt. Once again, they was showing their power that Satan had given them. Showing They're trying to convince Pharaoh that Moses and Aaron is nothing special. Or Moses and Aaron is showing Pharaoh God's power. See, out in the world, these witches and wizards and all these things, they're trying to convince the population of the world that God is nothing special. They can do these things that God can do. Trying to lead them astray and trying to discourage us. You got the first three plagues here they was able to mimic. They're trying to not only convince Pharaoh that these guys are nothing special, but they're also trying to make Moses and Aaron doubt their power, doubt their God. Exactly, because they couldn't get rid of them. Yeah, because they couldn't. Yeah, the they couldn't get rid of them. So. Uh, Pharaoh called upon them and said, listen, I need some relief. I need to get rid of these frogs. So we can't do it. Maybe you can. And that is the beginning of when God's power reigned supreme. Because that was the last thing, bringing forth the frogs was the last thing that Pharaoh's magicians, his wizards, his sorcerers was able to do. From that point on, they tried to mimic God's power, but they was unable to. God showed them, said, listen, I am the almighty God. He said, you can try to mimic, but my power reigns supreme, and I'll prove it, because now your powers are useless. Exactly. Yeah, only. Absolutely, absolutely. That's that's a good point. Yeah. Uh, it's like Randall said. Witchcraft and Satan, they can only bring four things. 
they can't undo them. Yeah, they can bring forth evil. That's it, but they can't make things right. Only our God that we serve can make things right. Um, let me turn over to Mark 5, chapter 5. I'm going to start in verse 1. They like to use uh, demonic rituals to call forth different demons and make different things happen. But one of them that was really interesting, and I had never really put two and two together until studying this. We all know this scripture. The man with the unclean spirits and uh, cast them out into the swine. But they was, it was a real common practice, especially back in the Bible days. But people would starve themselves almost to the point of death and go out and sleep in the graveyards and would cut themselves just so they that they could be weakened and be possessed with the demons. It was a spiritual, or demonic rather, demonic ritual that they would do. And in verse 1, <coughs> excuse me, in um, Mark 5, and when they came over unto the other side of the sea, into the country of, how do you say that? Gadaridians. And when and when he was come out of the ship, immediately there met him out of the tombs a man with an unclean spirit who had who had his dwelling among the tombs, and no man could bind him, no, not with chains. Stop right there for just a moment. That was one thing that they would say about this demonic ritual when they was possessed with the demons. They was given unhuman-like strength just like this man here, said so they couldn't bind him. They would chain him up, and he would break the chains. It takes a lot of force, a lot of power to break a chain. I've broke a few at work before, and it's unreal at the force, the power it takes. We was trying to pull out a... a um, a loader. We got our loader stuck one time and was trying to use them. We broke a chain. It's the first time. I mean, it was a, a big logging chain. And it is hard to do. And this guy, just by his bare hands, because he was possessed with these demons, 
he could break his chains. Because that he had been often bound with featherings and chains, and that the chains had been plucked asunder by him, and the father featherings broken into pieces, neither could any man tame him. And the featherings, they're steel clamps that goes around the wrists and the ankles. And it ain't like some of the stuff that we get today. These were all forged in fire and hardened steel that these blacksmiths would make. And this guy could just break them off like they was twine, like they was nothing. And people, some people, they, I guess they, the only thing I can figure out in my mind is they like the feeling of the power that that enabled them to have. I, that's, the only, that's the only thing that I can think of why people would go out and starve themselves and cut themselves just to be possessed with the devil, just to give them that superhuman-like strength. Beyonce, she's not the only one. Yes, Taylor Swift. Yeah. Hollywood and the music industry is full of people that have sold their soul to the devil and just to get money and fame. Uh, there's a lot of politicians that have sold their soul to the devil just so they can rise up and get power, a different type of power than what he has. He, they have political power, power that they can rule over somebody. They are, and once they are possessed like that, they 
They do some crazy things. We'll leave it at that. Some of this, the rituals and stuff that they do is, is mind-blowing. No. Uh, yeah. Uh, talking about Beyonce. Before she goes on a performance, I watched the interview with her. And she openly admits that she has a, a demon in her. And right before she goes out on a, in a performance, she does this little spell to activate or let this demon have control over her. And her whole demeanor changes. The demon takes control and she goes out and does her performance. And she, I was in an interview and she openly admits it and loves it. Yeah, absolutely. And verse five, and always night and day, he was in the mountains and in the tombs, crying and cutting himself with stones. But when he saw Jesus afar off, he ran and worshiped him and cried with a loud voice and said, what have I to do with thee? Jesus, thou son of the most high God, I adjure thee by God that thou torment me not. For he, for he said unto him, Come out of the man, thou unclean spirit. And he asked him, What is thy name? And he said, and he answered, saying, My name is Legion, for we are many. I looked up Legion. And Legion, right there. Legion is around 6,826. So he had somewhere around 6,826 demons living in him. And yeah, no wonder he cried, right? He was so caught up in this that it said always, day and night, he was in the mountains, in the tombs, crying and cutting himself, inviting more and more of these spirits, these demonic Demons to enter in. Because one wasn't good enough, he wanted more. More power, more strength. And a lot of these people that have sold their souls to the devil, they're doing exactly the same thing. One or two wasn't enough. They was power hungry. They wanted more money, more fame, more power. So they just kept doing these rituals over and over until more and more come into them. And like you said, Robbie, one day that demon is going to take complete control over her. It's what happened to him. 
He had no control left of his physical body, of his mind. The demons had completely taken him over. Because when Jesus asked his name, or when he come up, when the man come up to Jesus, the man didn't speak. The demons did. And when Jesus asked his name, the man didn't answer with his name. The demons did. Absolutely. Yeah. And he besought, besought him much that he would not send them away out of the country. Now there was there nigh unto the mountain a great herd of swine feeding. And all the devils besought him, saying, Send us into the swine, that we may enter in, into them. And for with Jesus giving them leave, and the unclean spirits went out, and entered into the swine, and the herd ran violently down a steep place into the sea. They were about 2,000 and were choked into the sea. You noticed these demons couldn't do nothing till Jesus gave them leave, told them that they could. See, that's the power of our God. They can't do nothing without the permission of our God. Now we we hear a lot about that in Job. Satan coming up up to heaven and God said, so what are you doing? He said, oh, just walking to and fro and up and down. Basically just trying to find who I can destroy. Who I can punish. Who I can bring down. God said, well, have you considered my servant Job? Said, there's none like him.
this. I said, have you considered Job? There's none like him. Satan looked at God and said, well, does he serve you for naught, for no reason? He said, you have a hedge built around him. I can't get through. Like you said, you know, he goes, why would I, basically he was saying, why would I consider Job? I can't get to him. I have no power to get through this hedge. So why, why would I go for Job? I have no power there. He said, but I said, I, Satan, he's crafty. Satan is very crafty. So he tells God, he said, you take that hedge down. He said, I, give me access to him. He said, I'll get him to curse you. I get him to change his views, his beliefs. So God said, God knew Job and the man that he was. So God knew his heart and knew that Job would not turn his back on him. And that's why God gave him access to Job. Because he knew the faith that Job had would stay strong. I think that was a, I don't know if it says how old Job is when this took place. But I want to say he's pretty old. With all the things that he had, the children that he had, I don't think he was young. But I think God had that hedge around him to build his faith up. to get him prepared for whatever life has to throw at him. Or I don't think God would have let that hedge down and let Satan have him without knowing that he was going to stand the test. Um, I think to an extent... I think that through our faith and our walk with him, if we get close to him, the closer, I'll put it to you this way, I think the closer that we get to God, the stronger our hedge becomes. Um, God called him perfect and upright. I've, yeah. Yeah. Um, 
I want to get a little bit more of that in just a minute. Uh, but I do want to go to 1 Timothy. I know I'm running low on time. Go to 1 Timothy chapter 4. Now the Spirit speak pressingly that in the latter times some shall depart from the faith, giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils, speaking lies in hypocrisy, having their conscience seared with a hot iron, forbidden to marry and commanding to abstain from meats which God hath created to be received with thanks, thanksgiving of them which believe and knowing the truth. For every creature of God is good and nothing to be refused if it be received with thanksgiving. For it is sanctified by the word of God and prayer. If thou put the brethren in remembrance of these things, thou shalt be a good minister of Jesus Christ, nourishing, or yeah, nourishing up in the words of faith and of good doctrine whereunto thou hast attained. This is just a, a warning of how these seducing spirits, these witchcraft and sorceries and stuff in the latter days, the times that we're living in now, are going to get strong. And if we, if we are not walking with God and building our strength up in that hedge that God has, we could get led away, be deceived by the works of these people and I like verse 6. We need each other to help keep us strong, to help us keep us in remembrance of God's word and what is the truth. Through that, through each other, we build each other's faith and each other's strength. Even though they've got power, we've got to remember God's power that he has given us 
is always greater than any witchcraft. I don't care how strong they are in the craft. God's power is always greater if we just use it. There's a lot of times we just I forget to use it, forget we got it, or just don't know how, I guess. But God has given us everything we need to fight Satan with right here. Uh, in Acts chapter 4, I'm not going to, I mean chapter 4. I got 4 wrote down the side of it, sorry. In Acts chapter 8, uh, you will read that a man named Simon in Samaria had bewitched, had cast spells over the people there and had bewitched them and through his spells had corrupted their minds. But when Philip come through preaching the gospel, God's power overturned his bewitching and many of them believed and even Simon himself believed. He turned from the witchcraft that he was doing and believed on God. That's the power of our God that he can take someone in this craft and convert them over. Show them the error of their ways and convert them over and let them follow God. Um, was talking about the hedge. That is our how do we get that hedge built up around us that we have the power to fight this, this craft and what Satan has to throw at us? How do we build this faith up? One is hmm? keeping his word. Stay in his word is what I got wrote down. Stay in his word. Learn what God says. There's all kinds of prayers and scriptures all through the Bible that is lighted to our feet to tell us how to go about everything about our walk of life, how to build our strength up in Him, uh, to get close with God and stay with God. If we don't stay with God, then we fall. We forfeit our hedge. Prayer, talking with God every day about everything. No matter how small you think it is or how large, God wants to hear from you. And when you communicate and have a relationship with God, 
our Holy Spirit that God has given us grows more powerful in ourselves. Like Randall had said earlier, with the man possessed with the demons, Satan's got to have thousands, but God only has to have one. Our Holy Spirit that, or God's Holy Spirit that he has given us is all of God's power manifested in us and that God has given us the power of him that we can go out through the world and spread his word and show the power of God just like the disciples and the apostles did it's the same Holy Spirit and the same power that we have today there's nothing different what they can do and what we can do. We just got to tap into that Holy Spirit. Tap into it. Learn how to use it through God's Word. And there's nothing that Satan can throw at us that we can't defend off if we so choose. And it is ultimately our choice how strong our hedge is. The closer we walk, the stronger our hedge. But if we just go, well, I believe in God, I talk to God some, I don't really read that much, our hedge gets weak. And Satan can get in there and penetrate it because our walk is not strong enough. And these spells and rituals and can penetrate because our faith in our God is not strong enough to defend. And in Ephesians chapter 6, it's talking about the armor of God. And... It really made a whole lot more sense when I read it this time about this armor. So we'll start in 13. Wherefore take unto you the whole armor of God that ye may be able to withstand in the evil day having done all to stand. Stand therefore having your loins girded with the truth and having the breastplate of righteousness and your feet shodded or shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Above all, taking the shield of faith, wherewith ye shall be able to quench all the fiery darks of the wicked, and the helmet of salvation, and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God.
So we got that helmet to protect our mind from the spells that they throw at us, that they cannot get in our head and corrupt our mind. We have the breastplate to protect our heart. That we're not, that we cannot be possessed with these evil spirits. Our loins, our legs girded. Have the armor on our legs that we can not stray from our walk with God. The armor on our feet that we always stand on the Word of God. It cannot be driven off of our faith of the truth. We got the shield. That we have to deflect all these other things that Satan has to throw at us, the spells, the rituals, no matter what it is, they can't get through the shield. And the sword to defend from them all, to fight them all off. So God does not leave us powerless, but gives us everything we need to stand and not waver and not fall. But we don't put that helmet on, we're in trouble. That gives them access. We leave that shield at home, say the shield's kind of heavy. I don't think I'm going to take it today. There's our defense. Gives them access. Say it's hot. I ain't going to wear my, my armor shoes today. I can stumble. I can fall. It all works together as a whole armor as a 100% protection. And it's needful that we always wear it every single day. Anyone got anything? If not, Charles, would you like to dismiss us?